I hope you got into a good conversation with someone. What, what classes are people going to take? Anyone? Guitar. Guitar? What was the what? What did you say back there? Korean. Someone wants to learn Korean? That sounds really challenging. Do it. Anyone else? Flying? Like being a pilot? Pastor Donna, you're going to become a pilot? Praise God. That sounds, like, that sounds like getting motion sick for me. That's what would happen for me. I don't know. I honestly don't know for sure what I would do as, as, a, as a class, but this is a good question. I like it. Um, so I, if, some of you know me pretty well, all right? And some of you have, we're just met. Hello, nice to meet you. I would really genuinely, like Adobe said, I would love to get a chance to meet you afterwards. Um, but if you know me, then you know that I spend some of my time on social media. Okay? You know, like looking at social media, but also participating in social media. You know what? Some, it's for some people. It's not for other people. That's totally fine. But I want to fill you in on something that's going on on social media. And it has been for a little while. So I'm a millennial. So Gen Z would say it's probably this trend is over. But it's still happening in my mind. And that is this trend where you say how it started and how it's going. Has people seen this trend? Have you seen this? Okay. How it started and how it's going. So here's some examples that I got for you. So first of all, how it started. How, so someone is showing like this is how it started and then this is how it's going. But I think that's a wig. Doesn't that look like a wig? Part of being in social media is figuring out what's true and what's not. Okay. Now, secondly, we got this child here. This is a good example. People love doing this with their kids. Like he was smaller than a pumpkin. Now he's sitting on a pumpkin. Like how it started, how it's going. Okay. I brought some of mine, of course. So here's one of mine. Uh, here's me and my little brother. Aren't we cute? And then last Halloween when we both accidentally dressed as unicorns. Right? That's how it's going. Ah! He's got kids. That makes it feel better. Okay, then the next one would be a, a great one. This is very common. How it started, how it's going. That's my little puppy, Obi. He was a surprise for my birthday, March of 2020. Yeah, think about that. Whoops, got a puppy, not on purpose. Right between, the, and then this is a year later, and I just put him on my lap. Now, here's a church one, okay? How it started, here's the Sermon on the Mount. How it's going, a little brighter. It's going a little brighter than the Sermon on the Mount. Now I recognize that's black and white. Here's another one. How it started, uh, this is the Last Supper. How it's going. Why are we not just naming that these taste nasty? I know, isn't it funny? We've just been doing this with these things because it's healthier and safer, and no one is just admitting, like, these are nasty. So they are, all right? I know, I'm so sorry, but they are safer for now, and... Uh, this is how it's going, okay? <laughs> how it started, how it's going. Uh, so those are funny. So that's a funny way to think of it. Um, but when I think about uh, the church and how it started and how it's going, there's been a lot of change when we think about the early church. And if you've been with us, you know we're in a conversation we're calling, why church? Just kind of answering this question that arguably some people have really been asking lately. Why, why do this? Why be people who spend time together on a Sunday and throughout the week? Why be a part of a body that is maybe connected to other churches like we just talked about with the Spiritu Santo? Like, wh why? Why are we doing that? And we're trying to answer that question in different ways, genuinely, because we do think there are some genuine, meaningful answers to that question. And so when you think about the, how it started, which is what we've been talking about in Acts, and then we're looking at some of the letters that the different leaders wrote to the churches, when you think about how it started and how it's going, it's really changed a lot. But there are some things, and, and this is kind of a tension I'm bringing up, that have not changed that much, unfortunately. For instance, the, the division and the infighting of Christians, of Jesus followers, 
along the lines of so many different things, um, ethnicity and race being a big one, um, also people being divided of ideologies and theology, I mean, so many things, right? When you look back at how it started, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's all that different to how it's going now. And I think it's okay for us to just hold that tension and say, that's not great. That's not a great reality that we seem to struggle with some of these same things today. In, in the church, sometimes I say big C. I mean like the church, global church, church around the world, the church in the United States. When you look at the different things that have happened, sometimes in the name of Jesus, that have caused so much strife and division, it's terrible. But it actually seems similar to some of the ways it started. And, and we would hope that that has changed. But in a lot of ways, it hasn't. When it comes to the uh, division and the barriers in the early church, some of you, if you've kind of studied the early church history, you'll know that there was one very big barrier for the early church, and that was this, this ethnic division between the Jews, or the people that saw themselves the people of Israel, right, and everyone else, the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles. And we could spend a whole sermon talking about the details of what this reality was. But just to put it simply, this was a very big, long-standing division that had been informed by some misunderstanding of what God had wanted for the people of Israel, to be people who would be a blessing to all nations, right? He told Abraham that, that God wanted for them to see themselves not as elite, but as the people who were going to forge a new path for all people to come together. And so there's this, this huge division that we see in how it started. And I think it's important for us, though, Let's not try to compare the Jews and Gentile situation exactly with anything that's happening today. Very different context. A lot of interesting and very um, complicated things that were happening. But when we do think about the division today, it can inform some of our understanding. So don't think of it as a parallel, but think of it as when we look around today and we see some of the division that happens uh, ethnically, culturally, racially, uh, ideologically, theologically, that we see in so many ways that there are some very similar realities still today with how it's going, that when it started. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a quote on the screen that was, I saw it this last couple of weeks, and it really hit me, and I just wanted to share it with you. It's uh, by Michael Green, who's an Oxford theologian. He wrote these words in 1981, and they just echo right into today. The scandal of a disunited church seeking to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation to a divided world would be ludicrous if it was not so sad. Ouch, right? This is hard. This is a hard reality for us to face. Have you heard the phrase that history, sometimes people say repeats itself, but I think of it more like it echoes itself. And we see these echoes coming back from those days when the Jews and the Gentiles were trying to overcome this huge, long-standing division. We see it echo into today, don't we? But I want to start off right off the bat and say, I think that there is hope. I absolutely think there's hope. I, I, I know that there is because I've experienced it. I've experienced what I would want to say today is my goal. My goal for us is that we would leave here excited to join the Holy Spirit in being people who join in God's reconciliation in our lives, in all different spaces, that we would get to celebrate the unity in diversity. Not uniformity, but the unity in diversity that I think is a gift from God. But the reality is that division will always be something we battle. Because we've got an enemy who says, I don't care that God tore down those walls. I'm going to put up some false walls here and there. Let's just barriers between people. Get chasms where they can't cross them. Whatever image, image you want to use. We've got an enemy who's going to try anything. Because uh, being able to divide God's people in sometimes is like half the battle and keeping us from being effective for the kingdom of God, isn't it? 
And so we will always face this enemy, the, the big C church, the global church, who tries to stir up division and stir up animosity. And even though that's a reality, we do have hope because the Holy Spirit can break in and can lead us in ways that we could not do on our own. And we know this is true because actually that's how it started. That's how it started. The Holy Spirit doing things that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we could not do on our own. And last week, Dr. Joel Lawrence said, we are in a why church moment. And in this why church moment, people are asking this question. And I want to just answer the, I'm going to give you the answer today, not at the end, like right now. Okay, I'll put it on the screen. Why church? Because the Holy Spirit can lead the church to reconcile across differences. And it can be a witness of God's restorative power to a divided world. It can be. I've seen it. So I want to be clear from the beginning, though. Why is this a possibility? This is because of God. This is because of Jesus. It's not just our own efforts. We all know what it's like to just try harder. No, this is about starting with a surrender to a God who made this possible. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to turn to Ephesians 2. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians and we're going to look at Acts today. Uh, Ephesians being written to uh, the early church in the city of Ephesus. Paul, one of the early leaders, he's in prison in Rome for sharing about Jesus. And he is in prison and he's writing these letters to these churches to encourage them. And even though this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, it's actually one of the letters that got circulated the most to kind of the church big C back then, like to, the, to all the churches. And of course, here we are today, still reading it. Here is Paul's explanation as to why it's possible for the Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation and bring unity and diversity. So if you have a, a Bible, I'm just going to start with uh, verse 14. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, this is the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. That's why it's such a lie, the enemy, right? Like, oh, it's not put to death. It's still here. It's alive and well. No, he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There we see the beginning of that. The access to the spirit is key. It's so critical. What did Jesus do here according to this passage? Jesus made two groups one. Jesus destroyed the barriers between people by taking that brokenness on the cross. Jesus created an option now for one new humanity of peace. Jesus destroyed the barrier between humans and God. So now people could be in this relationship with God and have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus did. This is what Paul's explaining. Jesus himself is our peace. Because of Jesus, we have a chance a chance to let the Holy Spirit lead us in these ways. And because of the Holy Spirit, I've seen it, that we can be a witness to God's restorative power against all odds, groups of people that should not see each other as family but do. When there's all the reasons to be divided, but the Spirit brings us together because Jesus has put to death the hostility. So, so let's go back to how it started, right? Uh, Paul's writing this letter decades after the beginning of the church to the church in Ephesus. But how did this start in the first place? In the book of Acts, we see the beginning of the church. And when we think about this idea of, of God tearing down the barriers, the walls of hostility has come down, this sounds nice, but what happened practically? 
How did they do that? After all these years of division, how did they do that? It's in Acts 10, if you have a Bible. Let me give you a little bit of background. We've been talking about the meta-narrative, the big story of God. And as we've been doing that from the beginning of this year up until now, what you see is that God is always showing up again and again to the humans, even though the humans fail to show up to God. And God gives another chance and another chance and does not give up on these humans. And, and Jesus coming to this earth as God incarnate is this just amazing reality of how much God is willing to go for out of love for us. And so in all this time, God chooses these people to, like I said, to forge a way to be the people of God. And from the beginning says, you're going to be my people. You are going to be the people that are a blessing to all nations, the people of Israel. And, and they understand that to some extent, but like we still do, right? We misunderstand what exactly was going on. And they start to see it as it's about them, not about what God wants to do through them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that a trap we still get into today? That it's about us, but it's actually not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us, which is a blessing to us, but more importantly, a blessing to the other people around us. And so what's happening here is this, this is a historical division for them. And so in Acts 10, we see God and the power of the Spirit do something that only God could do. And I'm so excited to bring to you a one-minute Bible Project video. I love them. Uh, to, to just, yeah, I know, just, it's been a while, right? We love them. I love the Bible Project. Uh, we did send them money on your behalf as well. And so let's check out the one minute, what happened in this pivotal moment in Acts 10. We're in the port city of Caesarea. There was a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he represents everything the Jewish people would hate about the Roman occupation. An angel appears to him, and he tells him to call for a man named Peter. So Peter comes, and he finds Cornelius and his friends and his family all gathered together in his home. Yeah, and this is scandalous. Jewish people don't enter a non-Jewish home to avoid ritual impurity. So what's Peter going to do? Well, right before this, Peter had a vision. God brought to him a collection of animals that his people were forbidden to eat. And then God said to Peter, eat these. And this is shocking to Peter. He says, I've never eaten anything impure. And God responds, don't call impure what I have made pure. And then that's it. The vision was over. So Peter's going to start a new diet? No, he's an Israelite. And he's honored these customary food laws his entire life. The vision was preparing him for this moment of him standing among impure non-Israelites. And he realizes that God is declaring these people are a part of the family of Abraham. And so Peter decides to stay and tell them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit shows up just as he did at Pentecost. But now it's for a Roman centurion and his non-Jewish family. The movement is broken out. Okay, it's hard to catch that very first thing that they said, but they said Cornelius represented everything that the people of Israel hated about the Gentiles. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, this guy is a Roman soldier. Rome represents this group of people whose anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish sentiment was so strong. Uh, they had lost people's lives to these folks, persecuted and so here this vision comes to that man of all people. Look at God, just making sure we get the point. All right, that man is the one, Peter, that you're going to go to. And Peter, it's just hard for us to even to explain just how huge this moment was. I call this moment that, that Peter actually walked into Cornelius' house, I call it his threshold moment. That threshold moment where you're, you know there's the barrier's gone, not the, the door, I'm not talking about the door, but like the, the barrier, Jesus had taken this barrier away by his life, death, 
and resurrection. He'd conquered that hostility, but now Peter has to choose, will I walk through? And we see that he does. In that threshold moment, Peter chooses to walk through, and it's just a huge deal. Cornelius' household is welcomed into the family of God without even being circumcised, which is a whole other thing that they get really hotly debated about, these purity laws that you hear mentioned here. One commentary said this, the conversion of Cornelius would establish a precedent, one that many of Peter's colleagues would consider dangerous. Like, not only is this maybe not good, this is dangerous, Peter. What are you doing? What threshold are you crossing here? The, the video said scandalous. It's scandalous that he's going in there. Peter knew that it was scandalous. He knew that it would be considered dangerous by the people in his life. But Peter crossed the threshold anyway. People wouldn't understand. People would say, not those people. People would say, well, don't you remember what they've done? They don't understand. They did this. But he crossed the threshold anyway. And I offered to us this question, what threshold moments do we have in our lives? Perhaps ones where you have crossed in the past or you see coming up ahead, where, where we remember, even though the enemy might try to tell us otherwise, that that barrier is gone. We can step into it. Will we cross that threshold? I think a threshold moment, for example, is when true relationships of understanding actually form amongst people who have different ethnic or cultural backgrounds like a genuine wanting to learn about the other person. A threshold moment, maybe when someone from a more dominant culture realizes, like I have at times, oh, I'm treating my culture like it's normal and everything else is different. That's not right. Wait a second, hold on, hold on. This is my culture and that's their culture. I wonder if I could appreciate that differently. When you have that come up and you decide to step into that, that's stepping into a threshold moment. That moment that you choose, this is a hard one, to be curious about that person who has a different political or ideological view than you instead of entering that relationship with judgment. Some of you know those are people that are related to you right now. But are, are we going to cross the threshold and say, all right, with the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what Peter's doing, he's going to cross the threshold and say, I'm open. I'm going to try to have some empathy. I'm going to ask some questions and see what God does. A threshold moment is when you genuinely try to put your shoe, yourself in the shoes of somebody else and let empathy form. And you start to see people genuinely as your family, not as the other. No matter how different their background, no matter how much you disagree, but they are your brothers and sisters, could we see that? When you start to step into that actively, those are the threshold moments. What threshold moments might God be calling you into? What threshold moments is God calling our church into as we step into the future together? Peter has this threshold moment, and he chooses to cross it. But this man, this Roman soldier, this centurion, the anti-Semitism we talked about, that was no joke. We really have to think about all these barriers that had to be overcome. Serious barriers God had to tear down for Peter to do this, right? I just listed some of them. He had to overcome the barrier of these lifelong purity rituals and laws especially about going into homes and eating together. In chapter 11 of Acts, it says he ate with them. Scandalous, he overcame it. Two, prejudice. He had to overcome the prejudice he had about the Gentiles, specifically the prejudice he had about Romans. Three, he had to overcome serious ethnocentrism that had been reinforced by his religious experience. Some of you go, what well, that sounds like something that I've experienced ethnocentrism that's reinforced by your religious experience. This was what Peter had to overcome. 
And we face barriers, don't we, in our threshold moments? Sometimes the biggest barrier is ourself. But we still face those because the enemy is going to try anything. But what is so critical that you see in this story? In Acts 10, the most critical thing is the Holy Spirit's power. And here in Acts 10, you see the, the, the fire represented in the video, right? The, the Holy Spirit shows up just like in, in Pentecost. Big deal. Peter declares then to this group of people what he's come to believe is true. But I want to read to you what he says, part of what he says, and just think about how scandalous it would be for him to say this. So if you look at Acts 10, 34, this is what he says. Oops, this one here. This is what he says to the people who are gathered there. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He declares this. He goes on to talk about, about who Jesus is to these folks. And then, actually, I'll read one more part. And then it says that after he finished just like explaining, okay, you're welcomed into the family of God. This is how it describes the Holy Spirit. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely... I mean, you've seen this with your own eyes. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They already were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Look at that. The Holy Spirit shows up, and then right away they're challenged. How about you, don't just come in the threshold. Why don't you stay overnight and eat with us? Man, you cross those thresholds. There might be some serious realities as you do that. But what a powerful experience. If Peter hadn't crossed the threshold, they wouldn't have experienced what the Holy Spirit could do. I see kind of a very clear pattern that Peter is taking here that I want to invite us into. I'll put it up on the screen. I think there's this pattern where you see how you just kind of have to try to discern what God's doing. Peter's trying to discern from a weird dream with a bunch of animals on a sheet. I mean, it's weird. But he's trying, right, to discern what God might be doing. And then to the best of his ability, he follows that. The second thing he does is he makes some pretty bold moves that would not be popular. Does that sound familiar? That would not be popular to everybody else around him to step into the threshold and to do this. And then finally, you see the third thing is that the Holy Spirit confirms, yes, this is it. You're stepping into it. And you see this kind of pattern happening. And I think that's what we experience today. It echoes from that first experience to, to how it started, to, to how it's going for us. We try to discern what God is doing. We try to make some bold and courageous moves. And then the Holy Spirit confirms it or not sometimes, right? And that's how we move forward. Whether we like it or not, that's what the messiness of trying to follow Jesus in these things looks like. Now, you, you met Jackie and Marvin. I was so excited that they could come today. Um, I have to say that they've become some really dear friends to me and to a number of us here. And I see this pattern that Peter followed. We can keep it on the screen. I see the same pattern happening with our relationship as a community with them. Uh, I happened to have lunch with Jackie. I've known her for a long time. The day that they found out that the place they thought their little church could go into couldn't do it. They had gotten really bad news. We happened to have lunch that day. 
I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there. I'm going, well, this seems, well, seems kind of like the Holy Spirit. Guess what? We had just finished remodeling some space at the commons. We had just finally cleaned everything out from COVID. And it was like, well, you can come here. It's like I, it just came out of my mouth. Well, you can come worship at our building. We're in another building at that time, right? And so then we, we made a move to, to go for it. We didn't even talk totally about the details. I said, well, we don't need any money. We're honored to host you. And they took a bold move, and we stepped boldly into relationship with each other. Because it takes a lot of trust to, to share space. Anybody got a housemate? We do. Take some trust. You got to work that out. And so we're sharing this space together. We're going to figure out how to do it. But it seemed like something that was God was doing. So we took some steps, and we stepped into it. And we just decided, well, let's try to go for it. And over these last couple of months, uh, some of you and some of our other leaders have developed a relationship with Jackie and Marvin and some of the other leaders. I have heard some powerful stories, you guys, about their lives and, as a community and the experience that they have, so different than mine. Obviously, a big one revolving around immigration and some of the trials that they've faced. And my heart just feels like opened up to them. Like I just, listening to them, I just feel like this is, my sister might as well be telling me this. And so you see the Holy Spirit starts to confirm it, Right? And Marvin showed up at one of our leadership team meetings because they happened to be at the commons and he shared a little bit about the, the church and our leadership team's like, what are we going to do? We got to do something with them, you know? And so I just said, okay, all right, it seems like this pattern happened. We, we discerned something. We took some bold moves. It seems like the Holy Spirit's confirming it. And I said, hey, let's get some lunch. And I, I sat with Jackie and Marvin. And um, have you ever heard the term DTR or like defining the relationship? So we're like, I'm like, I think we need to have like a define the relationship church to church conversation. So I, I, I think they knew that's what the conversation was too. That's actually usually how it goes with the DTR. Sometimes one person's surprised. But in this situation, we both knew, I think we're going to define the relationship. And I just said, I don't want to assume. But I just said, look, I'm feeling really like we're developing some cool friendships across our communities. And you're about to grow out of the Mill City Commons. That's just a fact. Praise God. But beyond the, the building sharing, is there a relationship we want to have here? And Marvin's like, oh, slaps the table. I'm so glad you asked. We were hoping that's what this lunch was about. And, and I just said, hey, I don't even know totally what that means. We've got North City, this church we started, and we're friends. And then you came along, and you're the Holy Spirit church, and that's the third thing. Oh, my goodness, there's three of us. The Holy Spirit church came, and then, okay. So we're going, I don't know what it means to be, this is where we're at now. I don't know what it means exactly to be family, but it means relationship, doesn't it? It means sharing resources. It means loving each other, praying for each other, and recognizing that what's happening right now, a mile from here, is just as important as what's happening right here. That's what it means to be family. And we don't even know exactly how it's going to go. <laughs> when you cross the threshold, you don't know. And I just hope we can have a posture of readiness for whatever that is. But I'm just so excited and grateful that the Holy Spirit still shows up, maybe not in fire, but we felt our hearts burning when we sat at that table together. And I hope you did too as you heard from them. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the unity. Because that isn't a story that anybody could have, that's not a story that I could have written. That just is what God was doing. So if we want to experience these threshold moments, we've got to be open to what God might be doing in this space. Peter's threshold moment turned out to be one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the church ever one in which many of us would not be here today if it had not happened, unless we are ethnically Jewish, right, because of what happened. That's powerful because Peter and others with him together went through that threshold together. Notice how there was Peter's choice. There was a community choice together. We have that too. What are our individual threshold invitations and moments, and what are those as a community?
We know we're still going to battle these, these divisiveness and the stuff that the enemy stirs up. So let's just accept it. That is going to happen. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's not what God's doing. It doesn't mean it's easy. But it's so critical. It's so important. Paul says in Ephesians, Jesus is our peace. He makes one new humanity, one new family, one new household that anyone can be a part of. That is what Jesus is doing. I want to read what he says again to them in, in, the, in Ephesians in verse 19 through 22. As he continues, remember this is decades later. Paul's like, you guys have to remember what happened in that threshold moment. Don't forget. And so he's reminding them again and again. And listen to what he says in verse 19. And pay attention for an important metaphor. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. But then he takes it farther than citizenship. He says, but also members of his household. You are family now. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Look at this, this cornerstone picture. It's so simple, but this is so critical. If we think that the reconciliation that Jesus offered is just between me and God, and not also horizontally between me and other people, we're missing it. The whole picture is that Jesus took all of this on himself so that we could be reconciled to God and to each other. Those things go hand in hand. God, forgive us for when we separate those things. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to each other. It's so critical. They go hand in hand. You see that the vertical and the horizontal reconciliation is what I often call it. The cornerstone, Jesus, sets the trajectory vertically and sets the trajectory horizontally. This is God's heart for the church. One of the commentaries in Acts put it this way, God has a divine goal for the church to have ethnic and cultural unity in diversity. A reading of the meta-narrative would make that very helpful and clear. Now how to do that's very hard and we need the Holy Spirit, but that, the fact that that's God's heart, we see that here. The Holy Spirit can lead us to reconcile across differences, and it will be a witness to God's restorative power in a divided world. That's how it started, and that's how it's going, that the Holy Spirit is the one who can do this, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at us. So let me put that wide church back up there one more time. Because the Holy Spirit can lead the church to reconcile across differences and can be a witness of God's restorative power to a divided world. Today, I just want to leave you with some questions. I'll put them on the screen if you want to take a picture of them or something. Um, I want you to take these with you. I want you to reflect on these a little bit as you go today. What threshold of difference might God be inviting you to step through in this season? How might we pursue peace and unity from the Holy Spirit as individuals and families and as a church? And where can we become more aligned with Jesus, the cornerstone, and be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other? Do you see how if that cornerstone got pulled out, the whole thing's coming down? But this is the invitation for us. No matter how challenging it might be, it's worth it because Jesus is that cornerstone. And the picture that we see that Paul gives in Ephesians is this beautiful household, so beautiful that God's spirit can fill it. Let me read the message translation to close. I want to just read, this is the way that Eugene Peterson puts that piece in Ephesians 2. Put it up on the screen. God is building a home He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, 
in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the pieces together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. What a picture for us to pursue together. Amen? That's the promise. If we pursue these questions together as individuals and as a community. Let's take this into a time of worship.